verses 1 to 14. Please hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. If you have your Bible, please have it open to Ephesians 1. That's where we'll be. As you would have seen at the start of the service, I think there was a slide indicating that we're going to be working our way through the book of Ephesians. And one of the hopes is that as we do that, God will change us and shape us and grow us as his people. We sang just before, day by day he will renew me. What a wonderful hope. We sit here today with all the different things we're all having to wrestle with, with all the different burdens we have to bear. We sit here today wishing we were somehow more or different and wonder sometimes is God still on the program? But no, he is renewing us. And day by day, he will renew us. And as we work through this book of Ephesians, and especially these opening chapters, that we might see that our identity is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that as we open it, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would give us eyes to see. Lord, that it would encourage us and teach us. Lord, we acknowledge that it is your word. And so, Father, please, may this time together now not be fruitless, but, Lord, that you would bring forth much good from it and grow us together in Jesus' name. Amen. Clint just read to us verses 1 to 14. We're actually not going to be working our way all the way through those verses today. 
But over the next weeks, we're going to cover that. Verses 3 down to 14 is actually one sentence. But we're actually going to start at what we often overlook. Those opening verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we're given spiritual food that we've look at the plate in front of us and we can leave some bits to the edges to rush in to eat the bits that we're really keen on and we miss out on spiritual nourishment. And so I'm keen for us to chew and digest, God willing, those opening verses. Things that we can often very easily just read over and not really meditate upon and be encouraged by. But in these opening verses, there are wonderful truths, things that bring great encouragement, things that remind us who we are. And it's these opening verses that set up the whole letter for what Paul is going to tell us and why he can tell us these things. And so let's look at verse 1. We're going to see essentially the three parts or three focuses in verse 1. Firstly, Paul himself and then God and then his people, the saints. And so let's think about Paul. Because it opens, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that's very important. It's not just a letter from a guy called Paul. It's come to us from someone who is Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus. And as we look at that, that's going to answer the question why we should listen to what this letter has to say. We listen because Paul is an apostle. If you remember, Paul is also called Saul, once hated Jesus. He hated anyone who followed Jesus. He stood holding the cloaks as people threw stones to kill Stephen. And he was approving of that death. Paul once got permission from the Jewish leaders to go and persecute the church, to harass Christians, to imprison them, to put them to death even. But in Acts 9, we see that Jesus confronted Paul. Jesus took Paul, the Jesus hater, and Paul became his apostle. He became his servant. That word apostle literally means sent one. Paul had no business or no thought of being sent by God. He wanted to get rid of Jesus, but God sovereignly worked in his life, stopped him literally in his tracks on the way to Damascus and transformed him. God was at work. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the very will of God, he was sent to be Jesus' messenger to the world, to be a herald of the word of God. In the New Testament, there are others called apostles. We're familiar with the 12, of whom Paul is one added to. And so in some ways, there are capital A apostles, big A and little a. Apollos is an apostle, but he's not one of the 12 or numbered with Paul. They are apostles because they are messengers sent out to share the gospel. But the difference with those apostles to the apostle Paul and Peter and John, for example, is that whatever message Paul, Apollos was to preach would have to be checked against Paul's message, against what Peter was preaching. The capital A apostles, the 12 and Paul, were the ones who had the authority. They were the ones who spoke scripture to hear the apostle. And that's why it's so important we don't brush over it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, means to hear Paul is to hear Jesus. 
Paul is the mouthpiece, the messenger of Jesus. And that's why this letter is scripture. That's why what we read here comes to us from God. You remember 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. If you keep your hand in Ephesians 1 and turn forward to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Another 3.16. And the Apostle Peter is writing about the writings of Paul. And I'll start at verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he, that Paul, does in all his letters, when he speaks of, in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Paul's writing is counted amongst the scriptures. To hear Paul is to hear God speaking as his people heard God speak through Moses, through Elijah, through Isaiah. And it's important that we acknowledge that as we move into this epistle, this letter. Because there are those who want to dismiss Paul and say he's not as important as, say, Jesus. There are some who say we're really serious and we're, our heart's really given to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But when it comes to Paul, they regard his writings as secondary or under the Gospels. But that is to divide the Bible in the way the Bible never divides itself. Or to give some parts of the Bible more authority than another. That's why we've got to be careful with these red letter Bibles to think that when we see the words in red, they are more important than what we're going to see here in Ephesians. Because to hear Paul as the apostle is no different to if you were sitting under Jesus when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. What we hear here is teaching from Jesus. And so we must listen as we work through this letter because it's the word of God. And we see that this comes to us by the will of God. It's all God's initiative. How do we know about God? How do we learn about God? How do we come to know who we are even as we were able to read going to communion? It's because God speaks to us. The only reason we can open this letter now is because God took the initiative to give his word to Paul to speak to us. No one else took that initiative. No one else could. It was God who wanted us to hear what he has to say. How wonderful we can say with David, God has made known his ways to us and his deeds to his church. And so God hasn't been silent. And as we listen here, we hear from God. And the third is to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The word saints means holy ones. Paul's writing to those who are the holy ones in Ephesus. To be a saint or to be a holy one is to be someone whom God has set apart for himself. 
the holy things in the temple were those things that God had set apart just to be used for his service. They were to be used only in the temple. If you're a priest and you used a cup in the temple, you could not take that cup and go home with it and use it at home. The cups in the temple were special. They were holy. They'd been set apart. The cups at home were common, for common use. And God says we are his holy ones. That God has taken a people out of the world to no longer be commonly associated with the world, to be his holy people. Which means we are no longer to live for the world because we have been set apart for his special service. And that's the wonderful thing. Though we are jars of clay, God has made us his holy vessels. Though we are in the world, we are no longer of the world. And every Christian is a saint. There aren't a certain class of Christians that attain to sainthood through pursuing their pious works or somehow being good enough. Paul writes here to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's to the whole church. If you're a Christian, you're just as much a saint as Peter himself. All of us at Chapel Street who have faith in Jesus, we are saints. And that's the defining thing. It's in Christ. The only way we can be set apart for God as saints is if we are in Christ Jesus himself. Whether we're saints in Chapel Street or the saints in Ephesus, it's all about being in Jesus. That's the key term, and it's going to keep popping up as we go through. What is it to be in Christ? Apart from Christ, we would be consumed. Again, as we took communion, we were reminded of that. We are under God's wrath and our sin. How could we possibly ever be set apart as God's holy ones? Because there is only one holy one, and that is Jesus. He's the capital H, capital O, holy one. He alone is without sin. He is the one who is one with his father. And yet he's the one who paid the price. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sin so that if we have faith in him, he, in a sense, can be, we can be wrapped up in him so that his identity becomes ours. We share in that. When God sees you, he sees his son. When God sees you in Christ, he sees someone whose sins have been paid for in full. And so it's only through being in Christ that we can be his holy ones. We're reminded here of something too. He says, the saints who are in Ephesus are the faithful or faithful in Christ Jesus. You know who the saints are because they are those who are faithful to Jesus. They live lives that show that they are no longer in the world Sorry, no longer of the world. They live life showing that they're in a relationship and they're being faithful to Jesus. Being faithful to someone is seen in our actions. Someone can talk about being faithful to someone as much as you want, but their actions will deny their words if they don't match up. For a husband to be faithful to his wife, that will be seen in his actions towards his wife. For us to be faithful to Jesus will be seen that we are no longer adulterous with the world, but we are faithful to him. Consider too, if you were to be numbered to play on a netball team, 
You can't go and take the court and start playing basketball. If you've been numbered in the cast of Romeo and Juliet, you can't go to the stage and start playing Hamlet. In Christ, we've been numbered as one of his saints. So we can't go out into the field or the stage of the world other than being faithful to Christ. And we see in Acts 19, on account of being faithful to Christ, the saints faced much opposition, persecution, all because they wanted to honour Jesus with how they lived. The world wanted, wanted them to keep playing on their team, to keep reading from their script, but they said, no, we belong to Christ, we're on his team, we're numbered with him, and we now live according to his word. So it's not either or. The saints are the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so may we, as we go into another week, but into our lives, may we be the saints in Armadale who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some words as to why this Sunday you can be so encouraged and confident. And it is because of the grace and mercy of God. Let's think about grace first. Let's again chew on these words and be fed and to be satisfied. We often use the word grace and mercy interchangeably, but they are different. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. For someone to show you mercy, you don't receive what you should. For someone to show you grace, you're receiving what you shouldn't. You don't deserve it. And so God has shown us much mercy. Only on account of that could we partake of the bread and the cup. We should be punished for our sin. But mercy comes on account of Jesus. We don't receive the punishment we deserve because Jesus takes it. But grace, and this is why God's love and God's gospel is so extraordinary, it goes far beyond mercy. God has shown us mercy so as to pour out abundant grace. Grace is what shows the gospel to be so extraordinarily wonderful. And it's all in Christ. I remember from high school, someone gave me a little definition for grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how we receive what we don't deserve. It all came through the cross of Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. We don't deserve to hear from God. We don't deserve the Bible. We don't deserve to know about Jesus, but God has done that for us. We don't deserve to have Jesus take our punishment, but he did. You don't deserve to be a saint, neither do I. But God himself set us apart to be saints, to be his people. We don't deserve to be loved by God, to be in Christ, to be wrapped up in his love. We don't deserve to be set free from slavery to sin so as to live lives that are faithful to Jesus. We don't deserve to be made children of God, to be able to call God Father. We don't deserve all the glories that God has promised and that are to come into eternity. As we keep moving forward through this chapter, we'll see 
how God's grace spans eternity, how God's grace reaches into eternity past, how it reaches into the present age and how God's grace towards his people reaches into eternity future. You'll see how God and the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit have been at work through the ages and through eternity to bring about salvation. And we'll see the distinct works that Father, Son and Spirit have done. And we don't deserve any of it. But God in his sovereign grace has poured out his love upon us. Sinners like Paul that hated Jesus with a seething, wanted to kill his followers, yet God has poured out his grace upon Paul. Think of the sinful woman that came to Jesus and wept while everyone sneered and judged her and thought ill of her. God poured out his grace upon her. You know the depths of sin in your own heart. The sins that Christ has had to su- Christ had to suffer and die for on the cross. The sins that meant Jesus was forsaken by God. And yet he did it for you out of love, completely undeserving. And as we go through this letter and these opening chapters, we'll see blessings that are just so incredible that just speak of a God who is lavish in grace. God could not be more for us. That's essentially where we've got to get to the end of this chapter, that God could not love us more. God could not show his grace to us more. God has done it all. As if God's got this bucket of infinite grace that just overflows from his heart and it's washing over you and me. And it's going to keep pouring out forever and ever. It will never empty. And that's upon you personally in Christ. Maybe when we send our text messages or our emails or say good day to one another, let's say grace to you. Let's remind each other of the grace that is ours in Jesus. The grace that we share in. And I encourage us to go far beyond what we're going to be able to do this morning and keep chewing on that word, feeding on that word, meditate on that word and be fed. That your soul will find much delight. That it's grace to you and peace. Peace from God, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's another beautiful thing. God's peace. The word itself literally means or points to being made whole again. Of being coming to a place of quietness and rest. Before you receive this grace... Your relationship with God was not good. Your spiritual life was one of turmoil, restlessness and fighting with God. The Bible is clear. Our hearts were at enmity to him. Our mind of the flesh was hostile towards God. We were enemies. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. The spiritual war was on. There was no way you could describe your spiritual self as being at peace. But then the Spirit of God broke in and he brings conviction. We're convicted that we're sinners, convicted that we should be destroyed by a holy and righteous God, conviction that one day we have to stand before the judgment seat of God. 
And that brought spiritual turmoil. But it took us in a good direction. Because by God's grace, that turmoil, that wrestling, that realizing we've got to get, make peace with God took us to Jesus. And we say we will repent of our sin. We will no longer fight against God. Rather, I will nestle in my Savior. And that time he came to Jesus, he gave you water to drink that forever refreshes your soul. You came to the shepherd who would lay you down by still waters. He healed you and he restored you and bound up your spiritual wounds and he is making you whole again. Day by day, he is renewing us. And as we rest in that peace and acknowledge that peace, it doesn't matter what the world does. The world rages as COVID rages, as our body ages, all these things, we have peace. Peace with God. An enemy now his child. No longer under his wrath, but under his wing. No longer fearing judgment, but waiting and looking forward to joy unspeakable. Peace from God. Having peace like that is a wonderful gift how much we see in people around us. There is no peace, ever restless. But God alone can tame a fallen heart and bring that peace and tame a mind that is restless and bring that peace and that blessed assurance that comes with peace. And it is that twofold peace has been describing first that peace from God Peace where we have to be reconciled to God because until that peace is sorted out, we can't have peace within ourselves before God. Inward peace is a fruit or a consequence of, being made, of having made peace with God. Many of us, probably some of the older would know a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. She wrote many hymns. She knew this peace. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And those words that we sing in church that many have sung through this or centuries, have provided comfort. Because peace comes when we rest in Christ and know that we are in him. Whether you're faced with fear or persecution or sorrow or doubt, and even as soldiers, Christian men, went forward in the battle line, it was known that they would sing these words. In spite of whatever troubles and trials we face, we can have peace, knowing we have peace with God. He holds us. He will never let us go. Those words of Fanny Crosby's are not just a light testimony. She was basically blind her whole life. Two months after she was born, she became ill. The family doctor was away and another man who claimed to be a doctor, he's pretending, treated her by prescribing hot mustard medicines to be applied to her eyes. In time, the illness left her, but the treatment left her blind. And when that fake doctor was exposed, he disappeared. Shortly after that, her father died. 
and her mother was forced to find work as a maid so as to provide money for the family to eat. And so as a consequence, Fanny was essentially raised by her grandmother. Yet though she was only able to see for the first six weeks roughly of her life, yet in Christ she was able to go through life with peace. That peace that comes from God and our Lord Jesus Christ, so that she did not live with bitterness, with rage, or all the troubles that come for a person who has to endure blindness, and especially a couple of hundred years ago, it would have been very different as well. But here's some challenging words. One person said to her, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. He was a preacher. But Fanny responded at once because others had said that to her. And here are her words. Do you know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. You know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour, Jesus. And that's come true. When I was little, my dad took me to swim in the ocean, which is quite extraordinary, unusual, because my dad does not like swimming. But I still remember we went on that family holiday and we went into the ocean and the waves were breaking and I was terrified. Those waves were big. I was little. I was anxious. I was in tears. But I remember then my father picked me up and held me. Nothing changed. The waves kept rolling in. But resting in his arms, I calmed and I had peace. The situation changed. And I'm sure I even then went on to have fun. When you make peace with God and receive from him this peace, and you know your life is safe with God, and that it can never be taken away, you can have peace no matter how wild the ride, how troubled the ride might be. Because lots of things will happen around us that will tear at us. But if you know that you're on a rock that's unshakable, that gives you peace. Peter was able to sleep the night before a possible execution. Jesus was able to say, thy will be done, even as he moved towards the cross. Corrie ten Boom was able to proclaim Christ in a Nazi concentration camp. I pray we would know that peace. That with whatever trials and troubles we endure, that each one of us can rest in Jesus, knowing our soul is secure. Though the mountains quake and the earth trembles, our body fails, we can still have joy. These are the words of Jesus. And as we continue working through Ephesians, what it means to share in grace, what it is to know this peace and share in it will just become clearer and clearer because Jesus is going to explain things to us and show us things. And so in Christ this day, to the saints, those whom God loves and has dearly made them his, 
to us who are held and nestled in Christ, who have received abundant grace and peace from God, I pray that we can rest, that we can delight in him and declare his praises. I'll close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. Lord, there is nothing that we have received that we have contributed to or have earned in any way. It is all from your heart and from your grace. Lord, please help us grasp grace in ever-increasing measure. To grasp just how much you are for us, just how high and wide and deep is your love for us. And Lord, help us to know your peace. Lord, you know each of our hearts. Help us to know your promises, to be able to hold fast to them and to know our lives are in Jesus. To know that nothing can ever snatch us from you. That in Christ, having had our peace made with you, we are yours forever. And Lord, that day by day, you are renewing us. You are transforming us into the image and likeness of your son. Lord, one day we shall stand with Fanny Crosby, with Corrie Ten Boom, with Peter, with Paul, with all who have gone before us. Lord, that's a guaranteed day. And we shall see you face to face. In Jesus' name. Amen.